Thanks for listening to another episode of The Zag. Excited to be joined by 2015 fellow Chris Lowe Records is here. We'll talk about all things related to academia, higher ed, social media, and some other cool things he's got cooking. Thanks for listening to The Zag. Let's get to it. Chris, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Listen, what is your approach to posting on social media? You're one of my favorite social media follows on Facebook, but what is your actual <laughs> philosophy behind what you write on there? I don't I don't think there is really a philosophy. <laughs> there are um, people who who actually know what they're doing when they go onto social media. I'm just more of, you know, do first and then regret later. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, so do you feel like you are trying to entertain yourself or others? Are you trying to make points periodically? Like what? What? <laughs> how, how would you break up the categories of posts if you had to categorize them? Yeah, so um, I sort of think that Facebook is like a you know like a memo board for me slash scrapbook of just rogue ideas that pop into my head, um, and and so you know depending upon how the mood takes me. It can just be sort of something that struck me as amusing or something that I thought was particularly interesting. Um, Twitter is is kind of like a slog for me. Uh, I just never, unlike the president, I've just never really like taken to it. It's never been part of my um, you know routine. So I sort of make a point, like an academic exercise every day. I have to find something to, to tweet about. Um, and unfortunately, that usually ends up being me, you know, sort of tweeting at the president or tweeting at Newt Gingrich or something like that. And then later on, um, you know, after I've had coffee and thought about it and shame has set in, I will go in and delete that. <laughs> but, and th yeah. there are... Certainly posts that do have some strong opinions in them. Do you get blowback from coworkers ever, from family members who, who sometimes cause you out? Well, I don't mix business with pleasure. So um, there are, uh, yeah, we don't really, I, I don't really have uh, coworkers on my Facebook in particular. Um, my mother thinks it's sort of strange uh, and doesn't, she's just like, what was that about? And what were those words that you used? And why did you use them in that way? Um, and so I just sort of have to apologize and say, you know, it was just a mood. Um, yeah, I mean, I try not to get into, cause I have, uh, relatives and things who post very strong things from the right on their Facebook or Twitter accounts. And I try not to get it, uh, you know, into things with them. So usually I'll either screen them out or just um, depend upon them unfollowing me. <laughs> but yeah, it doesn't really, it hasn't really created issues. And one of the things I remember when I was a teacher and teaching fourth grade, one of the main ideas when you're trying to help kids improve their writing is you tell them to write as much as possible. And the medium doesn't necessarily matter because they're practicing writing and they're getting their voice and they're practicing all the things that eventually would make them hopefully published authors and those kind of things. Do you feel like kids who write frequently, but their writing is primarily in the social media format, is that going to lead them to being stronger writers or is that ultimately going to hold them back? Well, I mean, when I taught, I tried to make a point of using um, 
sort of social media format or, you know, Twitter, Facebook style things as like a scaffolding exercise, because it is basically like when teachers talk about scaffolding, breaking thing, breaking writing down into smaller chunks, that's basically what it is if it's done well. Um, I think, uh, I mean, maybe a lot of kids don't use it in that way in in that sort of yeah, in my experience of what of how kids use social media doesn't lead me to believe that it's a particularly good tool for teaching long form writing. But I mean, there are there are notable examples to the contrary of of kids using Facebook and Twitter in a well, not Facebook because that's sort of like retrograde. It's what your mom's on. Um, right. <laughs> but the Snapchats and the Twitters and the, yeah, yeah. Well, Snapchat is totally totally. Um, Unknown. It's it's terra incognita for me. It's just way too mod. It's it's what the kids do. Totally. Uh, when folks ask you what you do for a living these days, how do you answer that question? It's a complicated question. Um, so I, I balance two gigs, uh, and my primary one, my full time job, is as a grant writer for the USC Shoah Foundation. Um, which is sort of an, I, I, kind of a nonprofit within USC. It's an institute. Uh, it's established 25 years ago. Uh, at that point, it wasn't with the university. Uh, and it basically is uh, an outgrowth of what Steven Spielberg did with Schindler's List. Um, we collect the testimonies of survivors of genocide, not only Holocaust, but um, the Armenian Genocide, uh, genocide against the Tutsi in Rwanda, Guatemalan genocide, some other instances of genocidal violence, and use them in classrooms around the world, and also in you know in some other um, situations where it can have a positive effect on people. Uh, and then uh, the other gig that I have is as a director of operations for uh, the Books Not Bombs campaign, which focuses on refugee access to higher education. And what we do is um, a little bit of sort of public awareness work around education uh, issues as they relate to the refugee crisis, and then um, trying to work with students and faculty and administrators to set up scholarships for refugee students. Yeah, I feel like a so lot it's a of complicated the, question. <laughs> yeah, was a good answer. I feel like a lot of the NLC alum interact with the grant world either as folks seeking out money kind of writing the grants or in some cases giving out the money for as someone that writes grants what advice would you have on how to make your grant application stand out or what's your strategy when you're trying to figure out how to put all that stuff together i think just targeting uh is the first step very narrowly uh identifying um folks who have interests that are aligned with your organization and then, uh, you know, trying to develop relationships with them. Uh, a lot of foundations will, foundations or donors will have, you know, formal requests for grants and, and application processes and a lot don't. Um, and so in those instances, it's really, uh, it's it's a matter of relationship building and finding a way in, and so it really depends upon what what you're looking at, uh, the dynamics of the foundation, 
um, finding that way in. In terms of the actual proposal, I think it's just it's it comes down to storytelling. Good storytelling is good storytelling, and even though a grant proposal can seem like you know one of the more dry um, forms of writing, it is basically a story, and you are trying to pique the interest of somebody uh, who you know reads hundreds of these, uh, possibly. In, in, you know, in the course of a month, possibly in the course of a year, but they want to be entertained. They want to understand the work that you're doing and be inspired by it. And so I think um, just treating it with the proper respect uh, makes for more successful proposals. Yeah, it's been interesting for me because, you know, I switched jobs. I was at KIPP for many years and then I'm at great public schools now. And so we are uh, uh, a group that has the opportunity to give money to different things related to education and to schools. So this is my you know first foray into to that side of the world. I've been there about a year. So a couple of things that I've <laughs> come to learn and and would advocate for is don't send unsolicited proposals or even solicited ones on Friday afternoons. That seems to have happened yeah. numerous times. Not a fan of that. And I don't know if this is normal or not, but I, I love seeing the the dollar amount you want first, and then I'll read it as opposed yeah. to you know some poetic very compelling inspirational grant proposal and you get the ends like, Oh, well, I can't afford that. That, that money is not going to happen. <laughs> Love to know that first and then work backwards from, from there. Um, but yeah, it's definitely an interesting world to see the different approaches people take when they're then trying to ask you for money. Um, yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. I, I would co-sign that. Yeah. Don't bury the lead. Um, <laughs> don't bury the lead. Just yeah. be upfront with the, with the actual ask. And then you've had a lot of experiences, interactions with USC. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, so we are part of USC, uh, USC Show Foundation, um, and I am al also a USC alum. Uh, so yeah, pretty, I mean, what they call, yeah, I guess I'm, you know, I don't really like the term, we use it all over the place, I guess I am a member of the Trojan family. Um, yeah. If you had to give them advice on how to interact or engage with the city at large in a different way or a better way, what kind of advice would you give them? Well, I think uh, you mean USC at large. Yeah, USC at large. Oh, yeah, that's a that's a big tough thing. Um, there has been a sustained effort to involve um, the community in the immediate vicinity of of the university through uh, what's called the Good Neighbors campaign, which runs a lot of uh, educational programs, and then there's also like the USC Hybrid School and things like that. So there are steps uh, to engage and involve. Uh, people, they also have a, a scholarship program that's tailored for students that uh, grow up in, in South L.A. called the Topping Scholarship. Um, so there's a lot of initiatives. I think it's just a matter of, um, you know, I guess just being a good neighbor and, and involving people integrally into, you know, the, the affairs of the university. It is, it is, it can be an intimidating place. Um, and so just sort of making it routine that folks in uh, the neighborhood come to campus for community gatherings and things like that would be would be a good first step. And do you get a chance to interact with undergraduate students much, graduate students much? What's your level of, of contact with them? Excuse me? I think we faded out. Chris, you need, me, you need me to repeat that question? Yes, please. Yeah, the, in terms of interacting with undergraduate students, graduate students, how often do you get to 
talk to them or kind of hear about their experience? So yeah, I, I do get to um, have some involvement with with undergrads and graduate students. I mean, obviously, when I was a, when I was a graduate student, I had interactions with other graduate students, which ended last um, spring. My program ended, uh, and I was also involved in in graduate student government, so got uh, that um, you know involvement with people. Now it's, I mean, I work with students who receive um, some scholarship aid, some who are involved in the work that we do as interns, um, and it's it's really great to see uh, how inspired they are by the work that we do. Um, I get to, yeah, I, get, I basically get to talk to a lot of people about the impact of philanthropy in their lives and to present that to donors. Uh, and so it's, 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 it's fun to hear their stories, certainly. Definitely with Books Not Bombs, I, I, I get a lot of direct involvement with our student organizers because uh, part of my role is sort of grassroots student organizing. Um, and that's, that's, that can be a really fun thing. Nice. Well, listen, Chris, thanks for joining us. And thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the Zag. You can check all of them out on iTunes, Google play store, SoundCloud. Stay tuned for more episodes coming later this week. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you soon. 